Hey everybody, it is Film Friday, so you know what that means. This week, you know what? I really don't have anything fancy to say. Um, this week, <laughs> we're watching The Big Lebowski. So, uh, go ahead, you know, tuck in, get your headphones ready, and get ready to uh, come on this acoustic journey with me and the dude for The Big Lebowski. Welcome back, everybody. Man, oh man. Hey, um, <clears throat> you know, normally I, I normally have a, a like a snippy little intro kind of sort of to describe what we're watching, but or what I watched and what we're reviewing. But man, I don't really have anything because I don't know what to pick. Like usually I'll take the actor like, you know, the main two actors or what have you and find out some of the other projects that they've been in and utilize those, especially if it's something that's a bigger, you know, like for, um, no hard feelings, we had Jennifer Lawrence. So I mentioned Katniss. Um, I, I don't really have anything for this one because today guys, and I know hmm, Jeff Bridges people, if I know I'm late to the party. The Big Lebowski came out in 98, but Jeff Bridges just has so many great movies. And, you know, watching this movie, he was, I was always a big fan of his. But now, you know, I think I might have my third uh, actor from my Mount Rushmore, to be completely honest with you. Anyway, let's get into it. Let's we go. We're just going to we're just going to keep this rolling nice and quick. Um, for the record, just want to say if you celebrate Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Turkey Day. More importantly, happy, uh, you know, day of giving thanks and celebrating and having good times and memories with family, etc. So I apologize for being a little tardy for this one um, over the course of the past week. <laughs> I ended up getting engaged. So I now have a fiance, which is crazy. So I was I went on vacation and Thanksgiving and it was just a flurry of things happening so hence why this one's being released a little bit later so sorry about that guys anywho let's get into it right so today as i already mentioned we're watching the big lebowski the big lebowski this is a i knew and heard of the big lebowski before i even watched this film that's how much of a yes a, a cult following but how popular this film is what's interesting to me is i i would be interested to know how well it did or performed in the theater because this definitely strikes me as a film that grew a cult following even more so after it was out of the theaters you know and was on a dvd vhs it, it, I, I just feel from watching it that that's what this is now i could be wrong but anyway, let's get into it. So The Big Lebowski came out in 98, guys. Man, do you feel old? Do you feel old? It is 2023, damn near 2024. So this movie came out 25 years ago. Holy shit. This is part of the reason why I didn't watch it. So 25 years ago, what was I? 
13. I'm telling my age, but yeah, 13. So yeah, did not watch this one. Um, it is rated horror by uh, 117 minutes and is a comedy slash crime, according to IMDb. <clears throat> now, you already know, I just did the, the clearing of the throat. So it's time to really get into it, folks. We are going to do our log line. Yes. All right. You ready? Jeff, the dude Lebowski, mistaken for a millionaire of the same name, seeks restitution for his ruined rug and enlists his bowling buddies to help get it, man. That was my um impersonation of Jeff Bridges doing the big Lebowski. Anyway, <laughs> from I watched the trailer. So let's get into some of our breakdown, guys. This is directed by, hands down, one of my favorite... Uh, directors you know it normally is a team but mr joel cohen of the ethan and joel fame um yes so joel cohen directed this one it was written by both ethan and his brother joel they're a uh, writing team so they often write together they also produce and direct together etc cetera, etc cetera. uh the producer for this was ethan cohen so joel directed and the producer was ethan um, my composer was is carter burwell that's a nice name Carter Burwell, if you're listening, that's a fantastic fucking name. Well, I guess I'm going a little bit too fast because I love the Cohen brothers. So I just kind of just like went straight past it. All right. So Joe Cohen, guys, uh, if you are not familiar with them, um, like I said, writing a team with his brother, Ethan, I think one of them, Joel, um, who directs for the most part, I think he directs more than Ethan kind of branched off. Um, I, they didn't officially split, but they kind of just stopped doing movies together for a little bit. I don't know if they're coming back or not. It'll be exciting, but I love everything they fucking do. I've yet to see a Coen's Brothers film that I have not loved or at the very least liked. And I mean that with a bullet. I don't even need to go down their their uh, what do you what do you call it? Not their filmography. But anyway, so Joel Cohen, um, he was a director for The Ballad of Buster Shrugs. That is on Netflix, which is essentially a compilation of short stories. It's fantastic and amazing. You should watch that. The Trage Tragedy of Macbeth. Yes, that's the one with Mr. Denzel Washington that I have yet to see because it came out on Apple TV. But I am super excited about watching that one. Um, for a lot of the people, old school, let's go old school. Fargo came out in 96. It's now a TV sh um, series. So you might be more, I don't know, familiar with that one, but it was actually a film that came out a while ago. So yeah, that was some of the things he's directed, Mr. Joel Cohen. And you know, like I said, they're writing teams. So while I'm on here, I'm going to and just say that he's also wrote Tragedy of Macbeth, The Jesus Rules, Battle of Buster, Suburbicon, Hell Caesar, Bridge of Spies, Unbroken. It's 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 ignorant and nasty how many great <laughs> how many great films this man and this writing team has done it's in insane um concert what's it the wachowski sisters excuse me not brothers now the wachowski sisters are a super you know, like a lot of people know the Wachowskis, and I think that has a lot to do with the Matrix being a very, um, what is that word called? Like down the center, uber popular film franchise, right? But the Coen brothers, to me, I don't, 
I don't think any I don't think it gets better than that, you know. So going on to Ethan, who's a like I said, producer, writer, director as well. It's interesting they have it listed differently on IMDb in order, but we're not gonna go into that. I just literally named most of the films that they've worked on together. Uh, the only thing that uh, I know Ethan did not work on was the tragedy of Macbeth, because as I mentioned earlier, they kind of broke up at that point. Anyway, fantastic man, oh, burned after reading. Y'all, this list goes on and on. It's too too good of a list. This is why I got to keep this short because I'm just uh, what's that called? Goggle over the talent, not only in this film but behind this film. It is insane and the fact that it took me 25 years to watch this is sad anywho let's keep rolling so we got carter burwell carter burwell that cool ass name is our composer for this one so they composed three billboards of excuse me three billboards outside ebbing missouri um carol the banshees of inishirin and Fargo. So they worked together with the Coens before. And man, I mean, look at, I just named off those. I haven't seen Banshee yet. That's on my list. But that cast is stupid crazy too. Oh, let me tell y'all. I kind of, uh, part of me wishes that I had did a partner episode with this for somebody who maybe already watched The Big Lebowski. Um, just to keep me on track. So, I hope I don't miss out on anything. Y'all, the cinematographer for this fucking film is, without a doubt, my favorite cinematographer, probably, period, bar none. He's definitely on a Rushmore. Mr. Roger fucking Deacons. That's his middle name. Roger F. Deacons? It's fucking Deacons. Is the cinematographer for this film. I, y'all, I'm not, y'all. Oh, Roger Deacon's so good. Him, Brad, was it Brad? Bradford Lee is another one. Um, anyway, Roger, I'm getting distracted. Roger Deacons. I don't even know where to start on the <laughs> the epic films this man's worked on. We're talking Sicario. Yes, which is a little nine degrees separation because we had Benicio's uh, film on here the other day. Skyfall. No Country for Old Men. 1917 Blade Runner 2049 I oh, man this y'all this man is one of my favorites he also worked on Hell Caesar uh with the Coen brothers like I said uh, Unbroken Prisoners in Time The Lit Dinner with Friends which is a TV movie he did that one if also True Grit, which also had Jeff Bridges in it as well, by the way. A Serious Man, Revolutionary Road, Doubt. I'm just stop. It's too many damn great, fantastic. This ah, He was born to, I, I'm pretty sure he popped out the womb with the camera in his hand. I'm telling you, that is how good he is. If you don't know who he is, Roger Deakins, last name, D-E-A-K-I-N-S. Look up his name. I... I'm more than willing to guarantee you that you like at least at least one movie in his filmography. That's how good he is. It's uh, anywho. Um, by the way, anybody uh, listen to his podcast? He also has a podcast um out in which he talks about cinematography. So you should give that a listen. Roger Deakins. Anywho, um, I gotta keep moving. The editors were Ethan and Joel Cohen, as well as Tricia Cook. Now, Ethan and Joe, they often edit stuff, their own things as well, too. 
But here's the cool thing. Just a little little thing for you all. Um, whenever they edit together, they have an editing team that for some reason on this particular one, especially they credit themselves as Roderick Janus, J-A-N-E-S. Now, I, I didn't know the editing teams do. I do know that sometimes writing teams will have a there's a term for it and I can't think of the name of it, but they'll have a, a pseudonym. That's the word. Boom. They'll have a pseudonym, especially if it's like a writing team, et cetera, et cetera. So that way it's almost like equal weight, blah, blah, blah. So I'm wondering, is that the same thing for this? I never really looked at their other films to see if, in fact, that is a thing that they do. That is really interesting to, I don't know, to think about because I just don't know that many people. Yeah. So I went to Ballad of Buster Shrugs. Roderick Janus. Janus, Janus, J-E-Y-N-E-S. That is super cool. I just learned that. You know what? You got to you learn everything. You learn something new every day, man. This is why I love doing this podcast. All right. Going back, uh, casting director was John S. Lyons and the production designer was Rick Heinrichs. So he's double Ricking right now. First and last name. But Rick Heinrichs um, was a production designer for Sleepy Hollow. Yes, the one with Johnny Depp. Glass Onion, which was the sequel to... Ryan Johnson's uh, Knives Out film. He was a production designer for Captain America, the production designer for Star Wars. So, yeah, he knows his shit. I've seen his name a, a plenty of times. Let's go on and get to cast because I don't want this to, to 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 stretch out too much. So let's get into our cast real quick. And I'm not even going to, you know, I normally name the top three or four actors. I'm not going to go crazy into what these actors have done. I'm just give you one because this fucking cast list is insane. Starting off at the top, we have Mr. Jeff Bridges, who plays the dude. I already mentioned some of the stuff he was in, but Crazy Heart, for example. Um, and uh, what else? Uh, True Grit, for example, which the Coens worked on as well. John Goodman. Yes, the John Goodman from Roseanne, who plays Walter Sobach. He was in 10 Cloverfield Lane. He's had a bit of a resurgence, which I love. He was also, if you watch, um, what's it called? Sitcoms. He was in Community. He played like the lead, uh, not the janitor guy, the lead air repairman with the ponytail. It was hilarious. Julian Moore plays Maude Lebowski from Boogie Nights. Steve Buscemi, who plays Theodore Donald Donnie from Fargo. Also, oh man, I'm what is the name? The Sopranos. Come on. What? David Huddleston, who played the big Lebowski, was in Blazing Saddles. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, R.I.P., who plays Brent. He was in The Master. He was in uh, Mission Impossible. Tara Reid is in here. Now, I'm not a big Tara Reid fan, but whatever. I still know her name. I've still seen her shit. She was in American Pie. I mean, the, the list is Peter Stormare is in here, guys. And he's just in here with not that many lines, by the way. So I don't know if this is the beginning of his career or the end. But anyway, he was in Fargo in 1996. Then he was in this in 98. So two years later, he was in this. Peter Stormare is an amazing fucking actor. You should look. You got to look. Stormare. S-T-O-R-M-A-R-E. Amazing. Flea, as in the musician, is in here. It's like they... John Turturro has a a... A supporting role that is freaking hilarious. I have no idea how they managed to get this list of people, but holy shit. Oh, and I, I can't I can't go for it without saying Sam Elliott. 
Mr. Sam Millian, the Marlboro Man, with the mustache and the cowboy hat. He was in the Star is Born. That was the one with, uh, what's the singer? Lady Gaga and the guy whose name, I I see his name. I see his face. I can't think of it. Anyway, but Sam Elliott, he was also, I remember Sam Elliott when I was young because I watched him in Roadhouse. Roadhouse! With uh, Patrick Swayze. And that's how old that man is. And he still looks the same. He still has the same cadence. It's fucking cool as shit. Admittedly, like he was the Marlboro Man back when, you know, you can um, advertise for smoking. I would probably, you know, I grew up in that time and I saw this cool motherfucker with this cool voice and this cool fucking mustache. I would probably pick up a pack. I'm just lying. Smoking's bad, guys. Don't smoke. It's bad for you. Anywho, that's it for the, the pre-production. I can't get into this too much because we're going to start off and just go breaking down this film. Let's get into it. Thank you so much, guys, for listening into the first section of this podcast. When we are breaking down and discussing the Big Lebowski man, uh, so this intermission, um, once again, going to be doing things a little bit differently. Going to be trying to drop those teasers on Tuesday, teaser Tuesday. So make sure to follow Flicks and Scripts on Instagram, or you type in Flicks and Scripts with Jay Starks, either one of them, they'll pull up, you'll see my mug up there, and you'll see, you know, where I talk about films and, and stuff, <laughs> so do me a favor, go ahead and give me a follow there, so that way you won't miss out on whatever the potential teaser is for the upcoming show, yeah, um, next, yeah, next month is December, wow, this year has really blown past quickly hasn't it um so first off just want to say because depending on you know what you practice wanted to start off by saying happy holidays no matter what your practice is so happy holidays from us here at flicks and scripts and uh keep an eye out for teacher tuesday i will tell you that i'm doing two films that i know i'm going to be doing one is a contemporary new film and one is what i would like to call a christmas classic and I will be having a special guest for that particular episode. I cannot wait. There's probably going to be some arguing. I might end up having to, you know, space it out for two episodes. I don't know. But next, next, I, I know I'm going to do those two. Well, I know the two I'm going to do. And I'm really excited about one. Anyway, thank you guys for listening. Stick around because our post-production segment's coming up. And make sure, like I said, follow me on IG. Hit me. Hit me up your DMs. Give me some pointers. Or if you got some films that you want me to review, drop me a line. Thank you guys so much. And here's the rest of the show. Alrighty, guys. Woo, man! I had to catch my breath after that. Uh, the pre-production with the cast list—that this cast and crew—is so insane, insane. Um, let's jump into it, guys. Let's get into some of our some of our crew breakdown stuff. Let's talk production design, right? Um, production design—I loved it. It definitely had a 
What's interesting to me is this film occurred in 98, right? And aside from um, vehicles, I feel as though this, the production design for this aged really fucking well. 25 years ago. Like I watched other, other films from a decade ago and I feel their age. You know what I mean? But this one, it, it, it holds up And what's interesting to me about why it holds up so well, I think has a lot to do with the characters, especially the dude who is technically a Lebowski in the film played by Jeff Bridges. Um, and because of his styling, he had this kind of hippie, homeless, stoner vibe or what have you. And because that is his personality, even his production design from the interior of his home uh, mirrors that, right? And it gives it this almost timeless feel because that is who he is. You know, uh, they had some some chairs in there that were a little bit of the older styling. But once again, because of the character that he is, it fits. So it doesn't feel like it's uh, old. The only thing that I thought, which once again, I think is freaking fabulous. And I loved it from a production standpoint that I can think of off the top of my head that really kind of there's two things. Um, that really kind of dates this film. One being the pink toilet or the pink bathroom. Um, <laughs> the dude's pink was, you know, like they don't really do uh, colored porcelain anymore. I, I know it was a thing in the past. They would do that often. And so that was one of them. And I think the second one that I would say would have to do more so with the the suits that Philip Seymour Hoffman's character Brent war just the way they fit definitely aged it but that was of course the way they they would fit suits back then or i say back then like it's a long time ago but that was the way they would wear the suits so i think aside from those two i can't truly think of i mean the dude's car was one of those older cars an older model car car and not because it's just because this is character which is what's so interesting about this film this is why i would love to know and I'll probably look it up after I finish with this podcast, what the initial thoughts were about this film. It really, truly has an almost timeless quality to it. That's so interesting. So interesting. Uh, some of the outfits that some of the people wore, um, like especially the pants and the height at which they wore them were kind of reminiscent of you know, like that 70s, 80s vibe, but also it fit those characters. So it doesn't really feel like this movie's from 98. And maybe I'm the only one, but I truly feel that. Like I said, other than Brent with his suit and especially his tie, because I mean, he had the fat ass. Those ties were fat. Um, other than that, yeah, which I truly adored. I loved everything from the props that they used, like for the ransom letter. The costuming department for the dude's wardrobe. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine how fun. Like, I, I, I'm i really curious 
if the people were allowed to kind of just run wild and bring it back to the cones, be like, hey, what do you think? Or if they had a very restrictive look, like lookbook that they gave to the department heads. Sorry. Lookbook um, for those not in the film industry. So lookbook would be. Um, let's see. So if you want to put a project together, a film, a TV show, what have you, and what is the look of your film, the look of the characters, the look of the color palette. So you essentially put together a presentation. Think of it like a school project that you would do and you would kind of present it to everybody. So lookbook is that it's, Hey, here's the film and here's the colors that I'm seeing for this world. And here's how the 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 cars would look and here's the wardrobe etc cetera, etc cetera. like um John Turturro's character Jesus his fucking oh my gosh y'all I love John Turturro first of all in in anything he does I, I'm not a big fan of him in in Transformers um he but Transformers also isn't that good of a film but John Turturro is an amazing actor and what he did in this film just absolutely fucked floors me. <laughs> it's so good. Um, but yeah, I just love so that's my thing. Like, how much of this was the Coens and how much was like when John Totoro, if they asked they asked him, Hey, can you do this? Did he come up with this whole outfit and this look, or did they have it already? And he just kind of filled it out. That's the cool thing to me about film is that collaborative nature. And then you don't you also kind of don't know it blurs the lines. I think that's so dope. Anyway, um, gotta love man. This this production design is fucking beautiful, and it's it's so random. Like I mean, John Turturro's character Jesus wore like a fucking uh, onesie. What are they called? The thing with the young ladies? What are I don't know what they're called. You know, it's like a it's like the pants and the shirt, and it's all sewn together as one. Whatever I don't know what that's called. But he wears that, you know, you have um, John Goodman's character with the yellow aviators, definitely a little bit old school. But then the dude's outfits, not necessarily has this, this mm, love, this production design, man. It uh, once again, gives it this timeless uh, feel, but it also cements this world so well where everything just everything is like glue almost you know it's it's it just fits so perfectly together and that's why i love it anyway i gotta stop uh let's go on to the music the score the music was crazy i was confused and floored in the best way possible by the music and soundtrack there was a couple musical numbers in this film that when they happened initially, I was curious at what the cones were trying to say during them. But then they slowly started to catch up to me where. To me, at least, I feel as though it was part of the dude's. World, almost like he like he's almost. Distant from the world, you know, because the whole main the main um thing that he's doing is essentially trying to find his rug, his oriental rug that uh, that the guy pissed on and then was stolen. Um so he's almost separated from everyone else. Like he he goes, he picks up milk, he has his his um 
white Russian drink. And that's it. Like, that's the only drink he really drinks. He goes in bowls and he smokes and it's like he's off in his own world almost if that, you know, and I feel like the the music, some of the music sequences helped sell that. But I also liked how they used it because I feel as though like the reason I was confused, I was like, what's happening? But then I noticed that often when those musical sequences occurred there, it was after he was knocked out or drugged. Something, you know, along those lines. So, yeah, the music was interesting and definitely helped make this film stand out in a absurdist, uh, surrealism kind of film. And and I remember even like going to the just crossing into production design scores and lighting and everything else, even camera, like the, the bowling musical sequence that lasted like for, I don't know, two minutes, he was flying in the air, which in the production design on that was fucking beautiful. Had that kind of like big band um, burlesque feel to it. And I remember watching it and I was thinking to myself, how do you convince these studios that you need to do a flying sequence of Jeff Bridges flying over, you know, the city and how does it fit into the grander story of this film? Like, I'm, I'm curious to know if it was symbolic of something, you know, but like I said, it, Pretty much in time he got drugged or or he wasn't fully conscious is when a lot of them happened. It's just a, it's such an interesting thing to to happen. But yet and still, I don't feel as though they took away from the film. It didn't it wasn't so bizarre that I didn't enjoy it. And what's also more interesting to me about the some of the more dream like sequences were that it. It pretty much occurred whenever Maud, Julian Moore's character, um, well, no, that's that's incorrect. Each of the sequences included Maud, even though she was not the catalyst for said sequence. So the first time it was him being knocked out. And then I think the second time was him being drugged by um, the the porn producer or what have you. But just an interest, so like why the whole mod thing, like this weird connection that they have. Um, so anyway, I'm getting too much into it. What else do we need to talk <laughs> to talk about? We talked about camera. Oh, the camera work. I mean, it's Roger Deakins. I'm not even going to. I don't even know what the fuck to say about camera other than it's fucking brilliant. It's beautiful. It was non-existent when it needed to be. And then on a more absurd, surrealistic sequences, you can feel the camera, but also feel, no pun intended, that it was purposeful. That was the reasoning behind it. And it just has this, to me, like a lot of the film movement that occurred was putting you in the place of the dude or not in place. It, it was putting you into his eyes because he's the one experiencing this. Like when they go, when him and Brant go and open up like the vault to hand him 
the big oh well, i guess i found the third thing that's reminiscent of how old this is that big ass fucking car phone <laughs> that big motorola uh like purse phone thing that happened so yeah but anyway um I, yeah the camera work was very utilized in a way that served the story and put us in the mind set of the dude and what he's experiencing one thing that i gotta that i that i have to just announce like in the car scene there was those dark moments i i i truly feel as though like working alive today right now that there's another cinematographer i don't think there's another cinematographer that is so comfortable with dark as Roger Deakins and anytime I see him do anything in the dark it's just beautiful like even when uh John and Jeff were driving in the car right and they had these moments where the the street lights would kind of dissipate a little bit and then John Goodman's character would be bathed in darkness and it's just beautiful like the way he lights um dark scenes is amazing and the way he lights in it oh what what's he call it he calls it um oh shit anyway um roger deakins has this thing that he does is it cove lighting is that don't don't quote me on that but he basically wraps light around um people with essentially it'll just literally there'll be bounces on the side and behind them so it literally wraps around you that's a whole listen to his podcast okay roger deakins everybody let's get into the subjective viewpoint All righty, man. Whew. I had to. Yeah, that one. That one was a little bit shorter than my usual ones. But I told you I want to try to keep it to around that that time. It's also because this movie, from a technical standpoint, is fucking amazing. The editing, the 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 lighting, even, you know, the car lights when they're driving on the road. I don't know if they were on the real road or if they were up on a flatbed. Sometimes, guys, uh, when uh, you're filming, then they may have the drivers driving, possibly, but they also may have the drivers in what's called a follow car. So you have somebody, you have the actors in the car, and then in front of them will be another car. Um, let's just call it a lead car. It might be called a lead car, for real. And what you would do is essentially pull that car. So on on the road, that way you get the movements, et cetera, et cetera. Cause sometimes, you know, you don't want the actors acting while driving because you know, that's distracting. Now I'm not saying that it doesn't happen, but that's what, that's two of the ways. Another way they might do is put it up on a flatbed. So what you do is you just raise it up on a truck bed, put the car up there. And then that way they can do all the movement, et cetera, et cetera, as if they're driving. And then you had a movement, mo movement from the truck and then you can do passing lights. You can either do that depending on how they shot it. Like the car scene, for example, were they really going down large stretches of road? I don't know. They could have been on a truck bed or somebody might have been rocking the car for all I know. And then have somebody in the back moving the headlights to make it seem as though there's movement. So it's all kind of neat, interesting tricks to do car scenes, which I find freaking fantastic. It's like, all right, what creative way can you do this? Let's think of it and let's do it anyway. Um, but yeah, from a technical standpoint, I don't I can't think of anything. 
anything wrong with this film. I'm just upset it took me 25 years to watch it. Um, <laughs> let's get into some, let's get into the film. As I mentioned, essentially <laughs> the inciting incident, inciting incident being the thing that gets the story going, is that his rug was pissed on and then disappeared. And that is literally the thing that kind of leads us from one bit to the next for the dude. And it was a case of mistaken identity identity because his name is Lebowski, but he goes by the dude. But there's also another guy named Lebowski who everybody who's who has had an interaction with the dude is technically looking for this guy, this big, rich, older guy. Uh, and so cases of mistaken identity, the whole nine. But the Jeff Bridges, man, his acting is I I don't even the film's that aren't my favorite, like R.I.P.D. He and Ryan Reynolds were in it. I watched that movie again. It was my second time, maybe three months ago. And I was like, okay, it is what it is. But you know, the thing that makes that film as tolerable as it is, it's Jeff Bridges. He, he It's his commitment to a role to disguising his voice and cadence etc you know um just like in true grit like he was like grumbling at the time he's grumbling anyway he has such a unique way of using his voice and i love it man i love how he commits to a character oh you know what i just thought about it for all you people who may not have watched the big lebowski or like oh where's that guy uh, where have I seen that guy from? All you superhero fans out there, that is Mr. Jebediah from the first Iron Man film. And once again, he like, I think the difference with Jeff Bridges compared to Gary Oldman, another man up on my Mount Rushmore, is that Gary Oldman often changes his look dramatically as well as vocal tendencies, uh, cadence, how he walks, how he holds himself, which Jeff Bridges does as well. But what's interesting to me about Jeff Bridges is I feel that his look, his face is so, I don't, I don't know if I want to say unique, but it has this quality, this recognizable quality to me that it makes it harder for him to slip in physically, like change his face. You know what I mean? Other than like for Iron Man, he shaved his head bald for Jebediah, which I thought was a really cool look. And I, that's a look I I haven't seen him do most often. I mean, a lot of some of the stuff that I've seen, most stuff has his hair about the length that he has in the dude. And it might be pulled back or in different ways, but it's just something about his face. That's just, you can pull it, you know, you can, Oh, that's Jeff Bridges. If you know who he is, but he does, I, I do like how he just loses himself. Like even the way he walks as the dude, it just cracks me up. It's just sulking, not sulking. It's this like sauntering doop, doop, doop kind of feel like if you watch the film just watch it and i get that vibe whenever i see him pair that with the outfit that he's wearing you know 
But John Goodman fucking absolutely eviscerated this role. Steve Buscemi, um, clearly probably one of his uh, beginning roles, so to speak. But as the trio, he helps round it out and makes it funny. You know, that's where some of the comedic beats comes from with Steve Buscemi. But I mean, everybody in here, you know, what's interesting to me about this film is I don't really know who I'm really trying to think right now. You know, the Coen brothers have such a unique way of storytelling and writing and directing that often they're like, and I mean, other people may not agree with me, but I feel like a lot of their leads in their films all are as idiotic and intelligent as one another. And then oftentimes I feel as though it's the day player roles, the quick ones that just come in and interact with the main characters that are the straight guys. Like in this one, it was the two cops that interviewed Lebowski. And what's interesting to me about this and what I really love about it is because everybody played it straight. John Goodman, um, Steve Buscemi, Jeff Bridges, like no one, Julian Moore, no one played anything up for laughs. They played it dead serious. And that to me is what truly sold this film and made it funny because then it, it felt as though all these ridiculous things were happening and we were along for the ride as opposed to like a wink and a nod to the audience, you know, like somebody hamming it up or whatever. Even Philip Seymour Hoffman, who has very little lines in this, who is an amazing actor, RIP, or was an amazing actor. Um, he had few lines in here, but even his mannerisms were very unique. And I think that's one of the, the interesting things about this film, even more so than any other Coen brother film, right? Is the number of character actors that are in this film is, I feel is more than, yeah, more than any of the other films they've done. Right. Um, like I talked about like Fargo has some good character. Well, we had to, some good character actors in that, but everybody like aside, I, I would say maybe John Goodman might be the least character actory character actory but jeff bridges is a character actor steve buscemi julian moore like all of these actors really dive into the and john goodman to an extent I, you know what i would say the one that had the least amount of who's the only one who's not a character actor was uh reed tara reed because tara reed is just terror read and everything she does um but everybody else like really peter stormare even though he was in there only you know for maybe a total of five minutes but he's a great character actor and it's the way they played it true and the dialogue is what is where the funny came from the dialogue and the writing right there was no need for anybody to make a joke purposely and make a joke for a joke purposes. You know, it wasn't like, hey, I'm doing a joke here. 
Here's my punchline. Here's, you know, here's me beating this joke over the head. No, everybody was playing their characters true to itself. And it's just the writing. The writing is so good on this fucking film that it's hilarious. Hilarious. I was literally like cracking up, laughing out loud at the situations, at some of the dialogue, some of the one-liners. And it's like, what is happening in this film? And once I finished it, I felt so full, which sounds weird. But, oh, I found the fourth thing. Y'all know when I do these, I normally have it playing in the background. The fourth thing that kind of shows how old it is, is this big fuck all remote control <laughs> that Maude, Julian Moore's character, has at her paint studio. This remote control is so fucking big. It's at least a foot in length and six inches wide. I remember those growing up and it, and it had the little uh like a little circle turn thing where you get fast forward rewind throwback anyway. But um so yeah, man, I just I felt full and what I mean by that is I yes, I watched the trailer. So I kind of sort of knew what was ha- was happening. And Everything else was a, a surprise. Like, I, I had no idea that it was going to be essentially this man looking for his rug. No idea. But that's kind of sort of what it was, which became ridiculous. And then it became more absurd and absurd as things just got carried away. But it never felt. It never felt as if. The jokes were undeserved. It never felt as though they were forced. That's for me. Um, what else do I want to talk about? Because I think I'm, I'm, I'm a, I got to try my best not to talk too much about this. Uh, oh, man. Jeff Bridges is amazing, guys. Um, Julian Moore is, you know, I find her character to be the more, the most interesting character out of everybody. Um, Maude Lebowski, who her dad was the rich old guy that, that I mentioned. Um, and I think what I find interesting about her character is I understand like the connection with the, the money and her dad, but what, what, hmm, what was curious to me was her decision to have a baby by the dude, um, and and she she quantifies it and says, well, you know, I don't want a, a connection. I don't want a, anybody that necessarily wants to have the kid. I just want to have the kid. And then I got money. I got blah, blah, blah. But what I find interesting, not confusing, but interesting is why the dude, though, um, because I would assume that there are other people that she has met. Like, what about his DNA, should I say, is intriguing? You know what I mean? That's that's what I'm curious about. So that's the train. All right. And we are back. <clears throat> Thank you, train. Yeah. Where, where did I leave off? This film is so interesting. You know, what's really interesting to me? 
is that in a in a interesting way, I feel as though his performance seems as though it's improv. And I highly doubt if it is. I could be wrong. But I feel as though the Cohen brothers are so meticulous with what they're writing normally that it may not have a lot of room for improv. But I'm curious in this situation if they did. Anywho, um, I just had to say that real quick because, like I said, movie's playing in the background. But yeah, Julian Moore's character, Maud, why Lebowski? Because, I mean, he's a, a pothead, a lush maybe, because he stayed with a white rush in his hand. I, you know what? I, I, I think I might have had a white Russian one time because I was a bartender, right? So I knew what it tasted like when I made it. But him drinking these white Russians really makes me want to go and have a white Russian. <laughs> it just makes it look so delicious, man. Anyway, uh, but yeah, why did Maud's character want Lebowski, wants to have a baby by Lebowski? Because I feel as though she has money. She's attractive. She's an artist. That she could have courted. Well, I guess it's not even courted. She could have just slept with anybody she wanted to. But why him? You know? Or what makes me curious about it is, did she choose? So she has this, not hatred, but a slight dislike for her father and the way he does things. So it makes me I'm curious, is that part of the reason why she chose the dude? Because the dude is, well, honestly, the opposite of her father. Even even in the sense of the dude just being a better person. Because Lebowski, of course, like didn't really give a shit about the girlfriend. And was hoping, you know, that she would either a harm would come to her or she wouldn't come back. So the dude being a nice is a nice person, you know. And her dad's very shrewd businessman and the dude's an unemployed stone pothead lush. So is that why she chose him? So and and like, is she planning on telling the dad to make him feel some type of way? Or is this just her way of rebelling against him? That's the part that's curious to me. And then also... Once again, anytime we had some of those dream sequences that occurred, it always included Maud. Like the first one when he got knocked out, she was flying on the carpet, he was flying behind her. Then the bowling ball weighed him down. And then later on, um, after the porn producer drugged him, then he was, that was the bowling one with the, um, like the burlesque type feel. But he was... She was in there as well. So what is the connection with Maud and the dude? That's what I'm interesting. I mean, other than. Yeah, so last name, both of their names ends with U-D-E. But yeah, also, it's, I'm curious, like the, the dude is unemployed. OK, so what did he do before? Why is he unemployed? And what's interesting to me about this film is that we don't know much about the dude but yet you you like him as a result of his actions during this film and 
he's not the brightest. Like when he tried to put the uh, <laughs> to door stop <laughs> inside the, the house. So when he opened up, the door would stop, but the door opened to the outside. Like, how do you not know that about your own house, man? But yet, and still, he knows what a marmot is. And it's like, what, what did he do? Who is, who, like, do we really know who the dude is? And I think it's for me, at least the answer is no, I don't. Other than the fact he smokes and loves white Russians and really wanted this rug back. Oh, and has bad luck. And what's cool is that there's not a lot of exposition about it. And even later on, when you have the Marlboro, Marlboro man, doing his narration about the well in the beginning of the film he was the one um narrating but then also at the end and then the the scene at the bowling alley and it's what like i was the purpose of that character i'm not saying that in a bad way because i enjoyed the performance and i enjoyed how it connected everything together but in the grand scheme of things could the story have been told without him probably didn't make it better most definitely but why why? Those are the two characters that are interesting to me out of everybody. But yeah, everything um, in this film had me laughing. I it was so much to look at, you know, even from when I, and I mentioned this before that sometime I'll, I'll be on set and there's Often, especially like newer uh, art people, you know, often being on set dresser, then you, you know, you have Windex, etc. So that way, if you need to clean a mirror or glass, and I've mentioned this before on this podcast, but oftentimes, especially newer people, they feel as though they have to clean all the glass all the time. But what was appreciative of like the, and one of the reasons why I, I normally try to tell them like, hey, let's just wait and see what the person says or what what happened. Because to me, and it might be because I also like, you know, make my own films and write, et cetera. And as an actor, then to me, I don't think every window should be clean. I don't think everything should be nice and tidy. And what I loved about the dude's world was that it wasn't like his apartment. It wasn't. I wouldn't say it was junky, but it was well lived in. And even outside of his apartment, when his landlord came, then there's just somebody, whoever his neighbor is, I'm assuming, just had a massive pile of shoes just sitting there. And then the dude's car is broken down and the windows are always dirty. And I dare say, like a lot of his clothing feels as though it could do with the wash. <laughs> Like, I didn't feel like, okay, this guy's a very clean guy. That's just me. I'm not saying he's dirty or a hobo, but I didn't feel as though he was. And I think that is what helps with this world building in this character. I really, you know, what I really also adored was that the Coens and Roger Deakins, they, they didn't always feel the need to move the camera. I guess I could have talked about this a little more in the camera, but it was a scene when they were at the bowling alley and it was just the three of them. Um, so essentially a three shot. You had the dude, uh, we had Jeff Bridges character, Steve Buscemi's character and, um, 
John Goodman's character. And they're just all sitting there talking for a good three minutes. And the camera doesn't move. It's just there. It's just. It's. A fly on the wall, you know, and there was the bartender that was behind the bar that showed up at the last bit after they walked off and Jeff Bridges was there by himself. And I liked it because it was almost like a. We were the bartender, you know, what I mean, because that's what happened, especially since I bartended before as well. Then you're often behind the bar and people can be having entire conversations and you can hear their whole life story. And that's what happens. And I like the fact that it didn't move. It was it felt like the bartender's uh, point of view, you know. And then after they leave, they do the slow push in on Jeff's face. They line him up on the right third. And then after that is when Sam Elliott comes on. And then they pull out to reveal him. No like crazy cut. Just a nice smooth, you know, push and pull. And yeah, push, pull and pan. Uh Oh, sorry. Panning. Guys, so in the film with the camera, you think of the camera, a tilt is when it moves up or down, boop, boop, like your head, like you look up to the sky and down to your feet. That's what is called considered a, a tilt. And then you have a pan, which is left to right. So you move your head from left to the right. Uh, if you <laughs> I just literally did that, which is why my voice sounded like it was off. I just panned left and now I'm panning right. So that's what panning is and then you also have like a push or a pull which is literally just moving in slowly on somebody but and then trucking which is done often for lateral movements so you're moving left to right then you move with the action that's called trucking so oh and then the last one um it's called a pedestal and that's when you raise or lower the entire thing just up or down almost like an elevator okay so let's catch up on some of the camera moves. But yeah, so this bar move, I mean, the camera didn't really, really move. Like, I want to say you had the three shot. They pushed in. So they may, they might have been on some um, some rails, some speed rails. They push in and then they pan left. Then they pan right. I'm assuming I feel as though that would still be on the rails. And other than a couple cutaways that whole bar scene was like one or two shots and it was still interesting, you know, because I feel as though sometimes, especially films nowadays, just feel as though you have to cut a thousand times, you know, and, and I understand that editing is important for pacing. So if you're doing an action, you want to cut a little bit faster, etc. But this, the editing and the camera movements just moved so genuine, for lack of better terms, that it allowed the dialogue and the writing to stand out. Because doing those cuts and showing all this other stuff, like even in like the scene when the dude goes back to meet Maud, right? And he's making his white Russian with powdered cream, which is weird, but okay. <laughs> And she comes in in the background and they don't cut to her yet. She's just out of focus. And I really love films that take their time and are confident with what they're showing in the frame. But once again, Roger fucking Deakins, everybody. Roger F. Deakins. So that could be a reason why. And um, 
But yeah, see, look, this is what I mean. I was talking about how I feel like he was dirty. There's just, I'm watching the dude, and he has his white shirt on in this sweet, sweet as uh, sweater. But then he has a big, huge stain on the shirt. So it was such an interesting, such an interesting um, way of doing things. Man, I, I got to know more about this film. Anywho, yeah. I'm just going to wrap this up, guys, because I'll just keep talking about this film. This film was fucking amazing. If you haven't watched it, please do yourself a favor and watch it. Um, if you liked it or if you liked any other Coen Brother films, then you would like this one. I cracked up nonstop and I when the credits roll. I genuinely had a smile on my face. Genuinely. And. That doesn't happen that often when watching a film. And it's just, man, it's such a good film. 25 years, man. 25 years ago, and it still stands. The jokes are fun. They don't seem dated. I just love this film. This might be one of my favorite films that I've reviewed thus far. I'm pretty sure. No, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, yeah. This is my favorite film that I've, <laughs> that, that I've reviewed thus far. And coincidentally enough, it's it's the oldest film. What? Anyway, thank you guys for uh, tuning in on this uh, Thanksgiving edition of <laughs> of um, Flicks and Scripts with Jay Starks when we reviewed The Big Lebowski, the classic, I'm sure the cult classic Big Lebowski. This was a fun, 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 fun movie. Uh, I almost kind of wish that I watched it a couple of times before doing this, but then I, I would just get lost in it. Like truly, I really got lost in this world that the Coen brothers built along with the crew and cast. And it just goes to show, man, like the collaboration effort that took place for this film has helped it to be so good 25 years later, because it takes an army to make these films, you know? And if everybody's firing on all cylinders, like, I don't know if there was any, uh, like stress on set or whatever, but the collaboration of, I mean, the, the list of people, the list of artists that were a part of this project, cast and crew, I was flabbergasted. And uh, maybe that's because it was 25 years ago, so a lot of these people moved on and done bigger, better things. But also, with that being said, all of these people, cast and crew, are impressive because they did such a great job pulling together the cast and crew of this film that each one of these people has gone on to become bigger and better than they were in 98. That's impressive. That is cool. Anywho, that's all I got to say, guys. We only got a couple more of these for the rest of this year. But, do you know, if you've been sitting down wanting to make projects or films or write some stuff and you want something that's funny, watch this. It's crazy inspirational. It's hilarious. It's well-performed. It just goes to show that... Art is subjective, right? Like I said, the, the dream sequences. What were they there for? I don't know, but it added to it. But did they have to be in there? Did, did it take away from the story? No. 
Did it add to it? A little bit. But it's just one of those things that it takes it takes a village. It takes all kinds. So if you've been out there, you know, it's 20. It's the end of 2023. This is the last Friday of this year, guys. So my wish for anybody who's listening, who may have thought about doing film in some whatever capacity, camera, directing, acting, writing, music, score. If you if you've been thinking about it, haven't done it all this time and it's the end of the year, just put that on your list. Just start it just start something you know start a project make some art because art is love share it with the world everybody love you guys thank you